Hello and thank you for listening to this Youth Mental Health Podcast with the Northern Trust. My name is James Nelson, I'm a psychiatrist in the Trust and I'm very pleased to be joined today by not one but two guests, uh, by Bruna and Carmel. Bruna, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Bruna, I'm 19 and I'm here to talk about my anorexia recovery journey. Thank you, Bruno. We are really looking forward to the conversation today. And I know we have a lot of interesting stuff to discuss and you've got wonderful insights to share with us and with our listeners. And we're we're joined, as I said, by Carmel, Carmel Milne. Carmel, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Carmel Milne. I work as an eating disorder practitioner within the Northern Trust. Uh, thanks, Carmel. And yet again, she doesn't mention that she's the team lead for that team. She's, she's too humble. But uh, great to have you joining as well, Carmel. And our podcast title today is Brona's Recovery, What She Wants You to Know. And just to set the scene to this a little bit, um, we're really aiming this podcast today at families who are maybe in the middle of a struggle around eating disorders. And uh, Brona's going to share some of her thoughts and experiences looking back on that time. Uh, and we hope you find that really engaging. Um, Bruna, maybe just to kick off, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more thoroughly? Yes, so I um, started my development of anorexia around when I was 14 and then I recovered from the hospital at 17. So this was when I was 40 years lower sixth. So it was all during time of exams. Um, I did really well in them, which was quite obvious as I held everything to perfection which is a trait that anorexia tends to give you. It all started off I just kind of was dieting with my mummy for a holiday and I lost a wee bit of weight and I think seeing that I just slowly became obsessed with it to the point where I became very sick but whenever I got admitted into the hospital I never thought I was sick and I remember saying to my dietitian the first time I went, um, I know I'm probably not going to go on a meal plan but if I was, I wanted to gain muscle and now when I think back to that sentence, like I was going in there and I was straight on a meal plan, that was how blind I was to how sick I was and that's because anorexia was blinding me because at that stage it just wanted me to get sicker and sicker and not any better. And I think as meal plans were given and increased, the hate for everyone at the hospital and the negotiation that I tried to negotiate for anorexia's sake, not for my own sake at that time, increased. And then everyone around me who was trying to help me, the hate for them also increased because it was like I was there for anorexia and I was trying to support it, whereas I was like versus everyone who was trying to support me. Yeah, thanks, Bruno. There's a lot of useful stuff already in there. Uh, loads of questions coming to mind. Uh, I'm noticing you mentioned that this started with just trying to lose some weight for a holiday, maybe a reasonably normal thing for people to do, and it, it seemed to, you know, gather pace from there. Um, I'm I'm really struck by what you said about not realizing you were sick. I don't know if you want to say a little bit more about that. So it sounds like you things were quite difficult for you. But but even at that stage, you, you felt like you weren't unwell with, with anorexia? No, though I think everyone's journey and how they start out and how they proceed with anorexia, everyone's going to be different because everyone is different, but there is loads of similarities, I would say. 
because I think the only people who fully understand what anorexia is is someone who's had it it's not your like practitioners at the hospital and it's not your family because really before I had it I remember just thinking anorexia was skinny people like really really skinny people and you just why would you know it any more than that if you haven't learned about it or you don't Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. study it you know you don't understand how that affects you mentally physically and it's so much more mental than physical so I think the real mental side of it is never you're sick it it makes you feel better when you do more acts of getting sicker so when you for instance you vet less one day that's good that'll make you feel good because you've done an act that is gonna help what anorexia wants you to achieve which is get sicker get smaller and you never can win you never can be like okay I'm fully happy with how sick I am now I'm I don't need to get any sicker I'll stay here it's never you're never ever gonna please anorexia you're never gonna please it you're never gonna make it feel like you can stop now again you're saying so many interesting and insightful things here Bruna I'm just wondering when you were in the middle of it all at that stage, did you think you could win? I didn't think I'd ever, you know, I didn't, I thought I can outfight everyone mm-hmm. around me who's trying okay. to help me. Like, you know, I will be, like, there's no way I'm actually going to do anything that you tell me to. Or if I do, I'll do it till I get out of here and then I'll bounce right back. And, you know, like, anorexia, I will, you know, that kind of voice in your head, you're like, I will please you again like I'm doing this so we can get okay. out of this kind of you know mindset okay. so it wasn't very, even very a debate start. for you about trying to overcome anorexia but almost that anorexia was an ally and you were fighting everybody else and I, yeah. I'm really interested that you've used the you know you've referred to anorexia almost as a person and, and of course anorexia isn't actually a literal person but you, you've done what I think people call externalizing mm-hmm. anorexia and I, I just wonder for anyone listening for their benefit do, do you find that's been a helpful way over the years for you to to think about that think about anorexia to refer to it as an external definitely and I think I'm probably referring to it like that because I've learned so much about it from like hospital sessions that I have knowledge to like make it that external thing it's not me it's it's an external thing from who I actually am but I don't know, at the start, I was just in denial that I even, a denial to even understand what it was because deep down I knew it was, it was yeah, there, yeah. you know. And I think a good way to like be able to separate yourself from it and I think that's why it's so hard to at the very start separate yourself from it because you don't want to realise that you're not, you're not it. It's, it's not who you are because two years ago when you weren't in this state of being sick with anorexia you weren't this person so it is the sickness mm. that's making you like okay. this okay and we'll come to Carmel in a moment just for some reflections but um just staying with us a little bit longer Bruna I'm just wondering for you personally what did anorexia Nervosa look like in your life I wonder if you want to give us a little bit of a sense of of how it was I think, you know, looking back, it just made me lose any any of my past, you know, things I enjoyed. It just made me lose all enjoyment out of them because 
the only thing that I gained pleasure from was eating less, exercising more, doing all the things that anorexia wanted me to do. So I stopped going out with my friends. I lost some of my friends because I wasn't staying in contact with them because I never wanted to go out because going out meant the opportunity or possibility I would be faced with food. And even though anorexia can build you up strong enough for it to like say no to foods, it's even better if you just don't go to any occasions that would even rescue eating foods that anorexia says no to and stuff. So I think my life just looked really bland, boring. It was it was literally living to please anorexia, which is living for really no enjoyment. It's just was a very looking back, definitely like very, very and bad. Kind of time. all consuming it sounds like. Yes, like there you know the it's very much so like no second of your day you're not thinking about when's my next meal like I sat in school and I just looked at the clock like okay break time's next okay lunch time's next okay on the bus home right what will I eat when I get home okay what will I do before dinner to keep me occupied so I won't eat and him when I'm home okay I've had dinner okay I'll watch a tv show about food okay I'll scroll on Instagram and just look at food photos and then okay am I gonna eat before bed okay go to sleep and really made sleeping very difficult so you were just lying all night thinking god I'm okay just don't just you'll last until the morning you'll last until the morning like every single second of your day is preoccupied with thoughts around food or thoughts around how to not be involved with food you're describing that all so eloquently Bruna and how it in a sense took over everything and took away things you lost um in some ways then yeah. and yet you as part of it you didn't want to repel it 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 it, it became an ally which is sounds like a real dilemma um i think another important thing to say is that it's not just situations like going out for dinner and situations that you know everyone around you would associate with food that you would associate with food you associate every situation to food like sitting on a bus you would associate that with okay how long have I went from my last meal okay like every single situation you're in is consumed with the thoughts of food and just all those anorexic thoughts that it's just consuming yeah. at all times even in situations where people who have no knowledge about anorexia would think how yeah. could anyone like you know and I used to always think like it's actually crazy to me that people can see a piece of bread or see a school dinner and not think, I don't know anything in that. I don't know any of the ingredients. I don't know how they cook that. Like, They're just looking at that as a dinner, as something to give them energy, as something to give them fuel. I'm looking at that as like, dis- mm. in disgust. Like how that, you don't know anything about how that was prepared. You don't know mm-hmm, anything about mm-hmm. the ingredients. I there. can see Carmel nodding. A lot as we've been talking there, Bruna Carmel. Do you want to pick up on any of the themes that Bruna's describing so well for us? Oh, first of all, Bruna, you're just you're being so honest about it, and it's really really lovely to hear you talking from this perspective from somebody who's much further on the recovery journey. And I mean, what you're describing there is massive preoccupation, um, but you're describing that with a lot of insight. And I think I've really really enjoyed hearing you 
talk about how you know you could see how other people were thinking about things and you had no insight about how they were thinking about that and how that was so different from how you were thinking at the time you just couldn't understand that and I think that's really really useful for our listeners to hear today because it's not about people being you know argumentative or being the best debater in the world as we've talked about but it's 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 about really understanding that the thinking process is completely different when someone's so preoccupied. Um, and I think that was really, really well put. I'm really glad. And the other thing that I want um, to just say I'm really proud of hearing you talk about is how you are admitting now that you would never have admitted that at the time, even when you got a slight glimpse. I think that's really, really useful for particularly parents and carers probably to hear. And just to focus in on that a little bit more, Carmel, so in your experience, if there are moments of insight, moments of understanding, could it often be a first instinct for a young person to kind of keep that in so that I'm not I'm not giving that away? Well, Bruno will be able to describe that much better than, than I can. But my, from my experience of other young people, it's nearly like they're betraying that ally if they start mm. to admit that. Um, because they're working so so hard yeah. to fight us off and Bruno you're talking about um, just to make it clear for some of the listeners as well you're talking about the hospital sessions and that's whenever you're coming to see us so that is our team and, yeah. and our sessions um, which is really really good as well I'm glad to hear you talking about that. Carmel it's interesting you, you've used the phrase there about fighting us off that a young person with an eating disorder might seek to fight you guys away the eating disorder team not literally um, and uh, I think earlier Bruno you used quite a strong word about a hate for people who might have been trying to help you and and I wonder would yeah. you share with us a little bit about the evolving relationship you had with the eating disorder team yeah so I'm going to speak about it in terms of what I would have thought back then and then mm-hmm. how I look at that now after so I remember the first time I seen Sonia who was my dietitian I kind of felt like this is like a day out I don't know I didn't take that seriously at all I I nearly felt kind of I suppose praise from the anorexia within me that like you've made it to sessions in hospital so I sat there and I thought oh I'm not gonna be on a meal plan let's just gonna be a wee chat and she put me on a meal plan and I remember kind of being like oh, okay I don't think that was gonna happen but I don't think I, how could I have realised, like I didn't realise what that was going to do to me, how it was going to make me fail or whatever. So I, that first time I met her, didn't really care about her, like didn't really have an opinion of her, didn't think we'd be seeing each other much. And then it was as time went on and I realised, okay, you're going to be here for a while it seems, you're making me do things that is making anorexia be angry at me so therefore I'm going to defend anorexia because that is my one job at that time that was all my life to, was surrounded by was defending anorexia and that meant anything she told me we would fight back with each other I would try and negotiate she would I remember the first time she turned around and shouted at me was or not shouted at me in a horrible way but was stern with me was she had given me two options of a lunch and I knew this one lunch and versus number two lunch, number two lunch had 
more calories in it. So I was said to her, I was like, well, you're going to need to make that lunch smaller because they're not the same calories, so they're not the same option. And she turned around and snapped and goes, no normal, no person who's not ill with anorexia would think that these two lunch options are different. It's two lunches, two different days. We don't eat, eat the same thing in every single day. We don't consume the amount of same amount of food every day because we do different things every day. Those are your lunch options. And I remember that was my first time thinking, okay, I hate you. Because she didn't let me negotiate with her. She didn't give me that, okay, yeah, I understand. Because now looking back, if she had let me do that one negotiation, I would have thought, okay, I can keep this at bay. Like I can keep pleasing anorexia, even if I have to do some of the things that it's making me feel so guilty for. I can give it that, I can give it, okay, but don't worry, I negotiated that for you. I can give it that back. So whenever she didn't let me do any negotiations, I was like in the state of, um, anorexia is gonna hate me for doing all these things. You're the reason for this. Everyone in the team is also in this helping fight to make me have to fight harder to please anorexia so I then hate it everyone there I hate it sessions I come out of every session upset angry and no one understood how hard it was and I remember thinking like you don't get this like you you're not you like how would you know what this feels like like just let me be like why do you care like I'm fine I'm clearly fine nothing is actually wrong with me and I I remember saying that to her like I don't need to do this like I've been grand doing as I am and I'm happier I'm so much happier pleasing anorexia and now looking back I was the most unhappy I've ever been in my life at that time like I had no life I literally had no life I just my life was just anorexias and I think as time went on definitely our relationship improved as I improved which took an extremely extremely long time but and it up and down completely not linear sometimes static but there would have been odd times where I would have come in and I would have done something for me that was against anorexia and I would have told Sonia Sonia, I put a full banana on my breakfast this morning instead of half and half was on my meal plan. Like I did that myself. And the good thing I think that made me like, you know, like her sometimes, even in that really state of hate that I was in because of the anorexia was she gave me, she felt, I felt pr like she was proud of me whenever I did things like put more than half banana in my porridge which at that very early stage because my family had no knowledge of what anorexia was and all of the mental side of it they didn't get that and I don't looking back now I don't have any hate or resentment I completely understand how could they have got it how could they because now that I'm able to think more rationally there's my, no one in my family would have seen a difference between putting a full banana and half a banana on their porridge like it's still banana on porridge you know whereas Sonia because obviously she has all the knowledge of how big of a deal that is to someone who is so so sick it was like she like felt proud of me and I didn't feel that from my family yet because they didn't yeah. understand it yet and I, I'm, I'm really curious about what you're saying and, and really interested by it and I'm wondering right at the start you're seeing Sonia as the enemy 
Uh, and it's so interesting that you refer to anorexia, not just as a, almost another person there, but a really potent, you know, strong influence and an ally. So I'm really interested in that. But I'm just wondering right at the start, if someone like Sonia or, or someone from the team tried to be very empathetic or sympathetic to you, you know, tried to say, look, this is really hard. We know mm. this is a real struggle. You know, they really got it. They really understood. And they tried to explain that to you and say, we know how hard this is for you and all. Would that have landed with you or would you have just been like pushing that away? I don't think I really even remember like what Sonia, if she was empathetic at that stage or not. Like I just viewed her as an enemy, you know, like it, I didn't and Carmel, care. I know, is going to jump in, but just because Sonia's going to probably listen to this at some stage, Sonia's a very nice person and not a monster, <laughs> right? Just so Sonia, we love, we yeah, love Sonia. We love Sonia. <laughs> Carmel, do you want to yes. pick up? Yeah, I think I think that's really highlighting, Bruna, how cognitively unwell some people can be when they come at the start, whenever you're saying you can't remember. Um, anorexia is really, really good at not letting that empathy come in and interrupt what anorexia's plan is. Um, so there's two different strands there. There's one, anorexia is on a mission and just wants you to focus on that mission. So that preoccupation sometimes just can't be interrupted with empathy and time to talk about it. And back to what you were saying, an admission that things are not good. Um, and then the other strand is sometimes you're just so cognitively unwell, you have no insight that things aren't good. So I think there was inevitably, there definitely would have been a lot of time and empathy for you at that stage but the priority would have been getting you weight restored getting you physically out of the risky zone mm-hmm. and just in case folk listening aren't familiar with all our terminology meal plan is a very specific list of things someone can eat as part of uh, their recovery and a dietitian advises around that and when we talk about cognitively being unwell of course we're talking about people's thinking and that bit that bruno was describing so well um Bruna, now obviously time has moved on and you're way further on in recovery and that's wonderful to to hear about. Um, I'm just wondering, looking back, uh, if you had the opportunity to give yourself some advice way back then, that's a really hard one, but what would you tell yourself when you were really unwell? Um, Like right now, I'm like so much. I think what I would tell myself is... I never ever thought at that stage and that early stage in my journey lasted probably a good year where I was really still in the early stages and that's going to be different for every single person but in that really early stage I don't think I ever I never thought I was gonna actually feel okay about anything I was doing I thought okay I know I'm not getting out of here I'm gonna have to bluff myself out of here and then return to all previous behaviours when they can't do anything about it, when my mommy's response isn't going to be, well, I'm going to tell Sonia on Monday. And I just I just knew, okay, I'm going to have to do this, and then I'll leave and I'll go back to all behaviours. And I remember, I'm now a mentor myself, but I had a mentor then who I seen at very early stages, first few months, and I remember her saying to me, she enjoys getting Chinese with her friends now. And I remember thinking in my head, okay, me and you don't have the same illness. You are disgusting. I am not ever going to be in a Chinese. I will never be engaging in that sort of behaviour. Like, 
wise up you're clearly like either a hired actor you haven't actually had anorexia or you would know how disgusting that is for you to actually say to me you want a Chinese and I just remember thinking like we don't get each other you know like and then there was times where I thought I remember her saying she was put on blue milk and I was like oh my god I'm on blue milk at the minute like how disgusting and she was like I know but you'll get back to drinking normal milk and I kind of remember thinking like okay maybe we do have some things in common but not a lot now looking back now I can't tell I can go tell previous Brona you do you ask can we get a Chinese tonight which is crazy because the first time I had a Chinese it was like a goal it's like a we had set loads of goals at the start of what I would try and do and a Chinese was one of the very later goals that like I you know started off achieving like easier ones I suppose and then got to the harder ones and before that Chinese I cried to my mummy I went to my friend's house cried to my friend's mummy and then when I got the Chinese I ate it and I sent my mummy a photo of like my plate and all and I was like I did it like I did it and I felt proud of myself and there's a show of Brona was taking over anorexia in that moment I actually felt proud of myself for doing it because if anorexia had been overtaking me I would have just felt guilt and I would have associated that Chinese with guilt and not pride and that's why I think it's really important to not rush in and not think like especially in a parent's perspective I remember my my daddy would have kind of thought okay do I go to McDonald's in like my first month of hospital and it's like you know that idea of okay eat these things that you don't eat anymore straight away to make her better just is not you know not the right way to do it because then you're going to associate those things with your still mindset of guilt and shame whereas I was at a stage where I did associate as soon as I had it with pride and then following that was guilt like that feeling followed with the guilt of the anorexia that was still there in my mind and you just have to keep repeating even though you don't want to repeat that because you nearly feel sometimes you've did it once and I there was things I only did once and I never went back to knowingly I only did a chippy once during my whole time at the hospital because chippies scared me more than Chinese's who knows why that's just a complete anorexic girl that would be different for everyone I'm sure everyone has things that are scarier than others but I didn't go back to that um so the guilt Brona, can I just ask, because some people, you're, we yeah. will try and guide some of our young people about when it's time to try these new challenges and try, try these goals. Yes. And we don't always hear um, young people admit that they feel an initial pride. Some people do, some people don't. Have you anything you'd want to say about that, yes. that guilt? Because we actually do expect that guilt to be there. And that's part of the process of working through, through that guilt, that anxiety around having that. Yeah, so I think the reason I was upset before the Chinese, I know, was because I knew that there was consequences going to be faced with eating that Chinese, such as guilt, fear of gain weight, all the things that were my biggest no-nos at that time. Like, I wasn't allowed to ever put myself in that situation where they would have been consequence. But I think with repeating that and having a Chinese again and again and again and forcing myself to do it again and again, for others and then eventually for myself I wanted it because with repeating that action each time it gets easier and I know that for a fact because with actions I didn't repeat such as the chippy example even though I was doing so much better than the four years I was in sessions 
I had so much guilt about that Chinese or about the chippy because I hadn't repeated it I hadn't forced myself to keep doing it so I think the key of all that is you just need to really keep repeating things even though you don't want to thanks Bruno um moving on a little bit but still on the theme of looking back and giving advice I'm just wondering if you if you were looking back in time what advice would you give your family or maybe your mum I think a really important thing to say for parents listening or carers listening is to keep going no matter how much you think your child hates you, no matter how much you think you're bullying your child, you're making them upset, you're the reason that they're upset because none of that is factual. The facts are that you're upset and anorexia and you're, they don't hate you, your child doesn't hate you the anorexia hates you because you're trying to get your child back and I always know looking back and I would never ever have admitted it back then but there was always the tiniest part of me even at the very very start that I know if I was listening to a podcast and I was in that very start stage I wouldn't even admit I'd be like how could you say that but deep 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 in me was this tiny bit that was like okay do force me to eat this because I kind of know I need it you know I know I need to I kind of want it I kind of want to let myself come out again but so minuscule like so minuscule and the anorexia side of me controlled side was so much bigger and I would never have admitted that and I probably took me a very very long time to ever realize I I did actually feel like that but that's why if you if my mommy at that time who kind of took charge, my mommy was like the one in who was like tough on me, whereas my daddy wasn't. So I viewed my mommy as the bad guy and my my daddy as like the good one because my mommy had, and the reason my mommy was that bad guy in my eyes was because she, she came to sessions with me, she knew a lot more, whereas my daddy was easier on me because he didn't, understand that whole mental side to it and how one time letting me away with something was a lot more in my head than just oh we'll let her away with it this time you know it's okay they let me away with it I'm gonna I'm gonna act on that as much as I can if I can get away with that I can get away with a lot more than that and it's you're so quick to be doing really well to get a wee inkling of space to do something that is for your anorexia side that will just bring you right back to feeling like oh I'm going to keep doing that because I got a good feeling from that yeah yeah Bruna can I ask a wee bit more about that because you talked earlier on about how anorexia had set rules and anorexia had set you goals and you thought you were achieving them but actually you were never achieving them it kept making more and making more um so in some ways anorexia is constantly shifting the goalposts for you um and then think about that with what you're just talking about there about parents slipping the boundaries a little bit because we in session we will encourage parents to have to follow boundaries and follow rules sort of against what anorexia wants to achieve um and parents obviously find that quite tough because they feel like they are upsetting their child Uh, we find it tough as practitioners because we feel like that we're upsetting their child um but can you tell me a wee bit about that what was that like when someone actually didn't follow the rule or the boundary for you at the time what did anorexia do with that anorexia took that 
one time of maybe when your parents were feeling vulnerable and feeling like upset seeing you so upset like okay if you just keep getting upset and you keep showing them I can't do this make them you know even act act more upset than you actually are because you knew how to work them it would it would be so slick and so sneaky that it you were so smart at how of what you were doing you were you know I was really good at it I was good at doing things so that no one would notice but that's why it's important to as a parent and care even though it might seem like you're doing what's you're upsetting them you need to make sure you let that person know I notice everything because then a certain amount of fear will build a fear that's first comes right up from anorexia that oh they know what we're doing but then also a fear that stays with you because I want to mention that if I if my mommy and my family wasn't there to support me on a meal plan I would never have followed that meal plan I wouldn't have done that without being a slight element of force or a big element of force and um but and that fear stayed with me because whenever I did get to the stage where I was off a meal plan if I had never been forced or never felt fear that if I skip anything on that meal plan I will have a consequence from everyone around me then when I come off the meal plan and I was having to trust people were having to give me a bit of trust that I could feed myself the fear that oh my god my mommy might catch me not buttering my toast or my mommy might catch me making a smaller lunch than she knows that I need to eat made me make an a normal or a rational sized lunch and made it normalized you know it normalized okay the more I did have to make myself portions that anorexia would have frowned upon because of fear the more it normalized to know this is a normal portion I this is what I eat thanks Bruna and just as we come towards the close of our podcast and we've shared a lot and, and you've spoken so clearly and helpfully, I think, I'm just wondering, trying to summarise this, which is so difficult, but trying to summarise it, how, if you had some advice for a family that are really in the middle of this all right now, that are um, stressed and a young person's quite unwell with anorexia and the family are really struggling with it all, uh, how might you sum up some advice for them or some some encouragement for them? I think it's so hard to hear saying it takes time because it can take a lot of time and it can feel like it's so static and nothing's ever improving and you're going to be stuck there forever. Because my mommy has said to Sonia, I feel like we're going to be stuck here forever. I can never see the end to this. And now looking back, both of us probably can't even remember some of the worst times we ever had. And that's because of how foreign that whole act that I had then is now. Because I am more Brona than I am what anorexia was making me to be now. And the transition is never linear. It's never easy. And it's ups and downs and... I also know that I wouldn't say at all I'm like 100% recovered and that's okay because 
because I'm stronger than it. I'm stronger than the voice in my head. That voice started out really loud, control my life. Now it's comes and goes sometimes, but it's really quiet and I can fight it because I have the tools that I learned to fight it and overcome it with. And you just need to trust that so slowly the tools and everything that the sessions is giving you will become a reality. Those are really useful points, Brona. And I think I was really struck at your last uh, answer there and the use of the word fear. And I think it, it is a difficult, difficult time for families and young people to go through. And I think that your points have been really useful. And I think if I was taking home messages there, I would be taking home, use the team around you, use your family support networks, trust when you can, um, and that there's a really hopeful future for you if you're able to try and get a blend over time that works. Is that fair, Bruna? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, 100%. I think I completely agree because it's not just, you know, recovery is not just, even though it's you, the person who has it, for instance, it was me who achieved it, I would never have been able to achieve it without everyone in my support around me. And that includes everyone who was in the hospital teams, in the sessions at the hospital with me, everyone in my family, everyone in my friends. It took a whole group of people and a whole lot of time. And that's hard to believe, but it will eventually come. Thank you, Bruna. Yeah, yeah. Um, So helpful. Thank you to you both. And, and in particular, thanks to you, Bruna, for sharing your really insightful story. And, and lots of helpful information in there for, for folk listening. So a special thanks to you, Bruna, for, for taking the time to share that with us. Um, and thank you to you also, our listeners. We've embedded within the text of the podcast a short survey, and we'd welcome your feedback on that survey and suggestion for future uh, topics for us to cover. And we hope you find today's podcast helpful.